Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 95, and I'll read the first two verses for us now as we prepare to hear from Rich Sylvester as he helps us continue in our sermon series where we are learning about the discipline of worship. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Today, the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, the psalmist says, today, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and Massah. Meribah and Massah are geographic locations on the journey between Egypt and the promised land. These are places where God's people pass through on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. And they are places where the people got feisty with God. They quarreled. They complained. They said things like, are you even with us? Are you among us or not? Do you have a plan, God? Why didn't you just leave us where we were? We were better off in Egypt. We were better off in slavery. They asked God, did you just bring us here to die? And again, they asked, are you among us or not, God? God's people had watched God do a miraculous thing among them. They had been in slavery for 400 years. They cried out and God rescued them. And as they journeyed out of Egypt towards the promised land, they saw God do incredible things. He parted the Red Sea. He conquered their enemies. He fed them when they were hungry with bread that fell from heaven and landed on the ground called manna. They saw these incredible things, but in Meribah and Massa, God led them to places where there was no water and they got thirsty. And when they got thirsty, they hardened their hearts and said, God, what are you doing? In fact, their hearts got so hard that eventually, eventually they built a golden calf. They built an idol. They built a God with their own hands that they could carry in their own pockets. They said, God, we're sick of being thirsty. This is harder than we thought. I don't want to follow you anymore. I'm going to fashion my own God. And the good news about this fake God that I'm going to make with my own hands, I can carry them wherever I want to go. See, that was the trick. No longer did they have to follow God where he led. They could create their own God where they could take him where they wanted to go. And so the psalmist today says, today, 
Don't harden your hearts as you did in Meribah and Massa. But if we get honest, we may be able to admit that we've asked those questions of God before too. That when the people of Israel said, God, what is up with your plan? Do you know what you're doing? Are you even here? Maybe we've said those same things. I know I've said those things to God. Seriously, God, this is your plan? Seriously, God, this is what I have to walk through? Serious, God, are you here with me? You can't be, can you? And if I'm real honest, I even admit that sometimes I've created a God out of my own hands, not literally, but figuratively, and carried him around in my pocket so I can go do what I want to do, and I can go where I want to go. This is a reality of human nature. It's a reality of who we are. And so when we hear the psalmist say, today, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did at Massa, we can hear the psalmist speaking to us. So what is a better response when God's plan seems too hard, when his path has too many obstacles, when we feel thirsty like the people in Israel? What do we do? The psalmist tells us. The psalmist actually invites us. Look at those first verses. The psalmist says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Come on, everybody. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come on, everyone. Let's enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. In the midst of the difficulty, the psalmist says, don't harden your hearts, but instead receive this invitation to join in the praise, to join in the worship. Because when we praise, we find surrender In fact, in Psalm 95 today, we're going to see that the psalmist tells us that when we walk the path of praise, it leads us to surrender. When we walk the path of praise, it leads us to surrender. In this series this summer, or this fall and winter, we're looking at uh, the disciplines for disciples, habits, behaviors, things we can do to, come, to become closer to Christ, to, to grow Christ in us so that we can adequately follow him. One of those disciplines that we look at this fall is the discipline of worship, gathering together to worship God. For the last two weeks, we've looked at the role of God's word in worship. Two weeks ago, Travis told us that God's word comes first, that worship is a response to God's call, a response to God's word. Last week, we considered that God's word is finer than gold and sweeter than honey. 
And for the next two weeks, we're going to consider the role that praise, that song, that singing plays in worship. And again, I believe the psalmist in Psalm 95 is sharing with us that the path of praise, the path of singing, the path of song leads to surrender. It leads to surrender. Let's look at how that takes place in this psalm. The first way in which the path of praise leads us into surrender is that it leads us into God's presence. If you have your sheets, you can look on it. We're looking at the first and second verse there. I've read them already, but I'll read them again. The psalmist says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The psalmist says that when we praise God, when we sing songs, when we make joyful noise, we are entering into the presence of God Now, the presence of God was something in Scripture that we read that people were scared of. When God revealed himself to Moses, Moses hid himself and said, God, don't show your face to me. Because as humans, we know that standing before a holy, perfect, powerful God as a sinful being will not go well for us. Yet, the psalmist says that in our praise, we come into the presence of our God. Now, a lot of scholars note that in these first verses, there's a lot of noise happening. Do you hear all the noise happening? There's singing, there's shouting, there's literally twice written joyful noise happening. That there is a lot of sound going on that these people, as they gather for worship, there's quite a clamor. There's signs falling over in the wind. There's airplanes going overhead. There's people singing and shouting and making noise. Why is that? Well, some scholars suggest, and if you go to a, a high school football game, you'll find out that before the game, What do you do? You make a lot of noise. You've got your get hyped playlist pounding in your ears. You're jumping up and down in the locker room. You're walking out to the field, banging your chest against the other players. You're clapping your hands. You're hitting your helmet. You're making noise because you are gearing yourself up. You are finding courage with the team to go and take on your opponent. And many scholars suggest that this noise in worship, this joyful noise is the community of saints gathering the courage to go and stand before their perfect, holy creator, God. Have you ever considered that when we sing together, when we sing praise songs together, we're helping each other gain the courage to enter into the presence of God? We are hyping each other up. 
We are pounding our chests and hitting our helmets and walking into the presence of God together. That's one way to consider the noise. But there's another one. There's another reality that walking before the presence of God, that that entering into the presence of God, that's that's an important thing. We, We shouldn't miss it. We should be awake and ready. We shouldn't be preoccupied with other things going on in our life. We shouldn't be apathetic to what's taking place. So some scholars suggest that the the noise in worship is waking each other up. That we are reminding each other that we better be fully awake to experience the presence of God together. Have you considered that even this morning when we sung praise songs together, that we were helping each other wake up to the reality that we are about to walk into the presence of God together? that this week we have gotten drowsy and apathetic and preoccupied with other things. And the noise of worship says, wake up. We're going in. We're going into the presence of God. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew, that first come on in verse one is simply that, come on. But later when we see verse six, it says, come in. It's it's talking about a progression as we move towards God's presence. Some scholars think that this, this psalm was sung on the steps of the temple as the group got themselves ready to go in, got themselves ready to experience God's presence. It brought them courage. It woke them up and made sure their eyes and their hearts and their minds were open to what we were about to experience. Do you sing praise songs that way? There's another reality. The reality that some scholars think is that the the noise that the psalmist writes, the references to singing and song and praising is the reality that we know in scripture that there is a song in heaven constantly being sung. That the angels are are swirling around the throne of God, singing, holy, holy, holy. And as we walk into God's presence, we shouldn't be the only ones not singing. That we should be joining into the music that is happening in heaven. That we should be stepping into the song that is already being sung. We've said before from the pulpit that worship is not something you do, but something you join. There is a heavenly praise song being sung. And when we gather together and we sing and praise together, we join in that song with the angels in heaven. Do you see your praise singing that way? Well, regardless of whether you see your praise as a way to garner courage to enter into God's presence, or wake yourself up to the reality that we are about to walk before our creator, or whether you see our praise as a way to join in the chorus of heaven, the psalmist makes it clear in verse two that we come into the presence, his presence with thanksgiving. This word for presence has a deeper meaning in Hebrew. 
It actually means that we come face to face with our God. Face to face with our God. In scripture, face to face is a place of vulnerability. It's a place of transparency. It's a place where you find true friendship and real intimacy. Face to face is a place where you know someone personally. We understand this. We understand the dynamic of a face-to-face interaction. Yesterday, our our youngest son was invited to a a new friend's house. We had never met the parents before. Susie had texted with the mom. Susie had talked to the mom on the phone. But when we showed up to drop off our son at somebody's house who we had never met, you better believe that Susie walked inside because she wanted to meet the family face-to-face. Because face-to-face is different than over text. Face-to-face is different than over email. We get this. We understand this. It's a place of real relationship. I'm so glad that I wasn't around for this era, or I wasn't dating in this era of of online dating. But I watch as, as people meet people online. Is the photo real? Is their bio accurate? I don't know. Let's wait and we'll meet face to face and find out. Face to face has a deeper meaning. Vulnerability, transparency, intimacy, relationship. And the psalmist says that in our praise, we go before the Lord, our God, face to face. One theologian writes it like this. He says that in God's presence, we present our fears and he becomes our security. That in God's God's presence, we present our aspirations and he gives us dignity. dignity. We present to him our, our failures and he whispers to us and says, I accept you. We express our questions and he gives us direction. In the presence of God, we can expose our weaknesses and he provides us with his challenge. The invitation in praise is that we would come on and we would come in and we would move into the presence of God face to face with our creator where we can be known fully by him and where he is saying, I want you to know me. Is that how you approach praise? Is it an act of summoning courage to go before our creator? Is it a call to be fully present? Let's not miss out on any of this moment. Do you see it as an opportunity to join with heaven's song? Do you see it as a doorway into God's presence. I'm going to try to switch books without my stuff blowing away, but as I was studying this week, Travis handed me a, a Methodist hymnal. I, I love the, the Wesley brothers. Uh, John Wesley actually didn't uh, write a lot of hymns. 
His brother, Charles, wrote 6,500 according to the internet. That's a lot of hymns to write. John didn't write many. In fact, Wikipedia said anything that John Wesley wrote wasn't really of any good value. So John Wesley uh, decided to collect his brother's favorite hymns. And in 1761, he put together his favorite book of praise songs, his favorite book of hymns. And even today in the Methodist hymnal, if you open the first couple pages, it has his directions for how to sing these songs. 1761, John Wesley said, and I won't read all seven, I'm just going to read two. But he said, here was the third uh, point that he made. He said, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find it a blessing. John Wesley says, sing. Sing whenever you can. Get to church Choose church and join in the song as often as you can because John Wesley understood that when, when we praise together, we enter God's presence. He also said this, his fourth direction for how to sing properly. He said, sing vigorously and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep but lift up your voice with strength. Did you sing today like you were half asleep? Because maybe you were. Did you sing today like you were half dead? I hope not. Or did you make a joyful noise and sing vigorously and with good courage because you needed to hype yourself up to enter the presence of God. You needed to wake everybody up around you to enter the presence of God. You needed to, to, you needed to join in the chorus that is already being sung in heaven. The path of praise leads us to surrender, and it begins because it leads us into God's presence. But it keeps going from there. It also leads us in to God's power. Look at verse three, four, and five with me. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains, well, they're his also. The sea is his, for he made it, after all. And his hands formed the dry land. The psalmist wants us to know that in praise, as we sing and share songs together, we don't just enter his presence, but we enter into his power. The power of a great God, the one true God, the great king above all kings. In, in the desert, the Israelites made a calf. They made a golden calf, a God that they could hold in their hands a God that they fashioned with their hands. But the psalmist says, no, no, no. It's you that were fashioned with God's hands. And it's you that he holds. Whether you're on the depths or the, whether you're down in the depths or up in the heights, whether you're on the dry land or on the sea, he made you and he holds you for he is a great God. 
One of my favorite shows is called The Antique Road Show. No one else in my family enjoys watching it with me, but I love watching people bring in something from their house. You see this great hope and expectation that they have that it's gonna be worth great value. Not gonna lie, I love it when the appraiser says, no, this is a fake, it's not worth anything. That really makes me kind of happy. But I like it even more. I like it even more when somebody shows up and they say, well, I don't know, this vase just looked kind of cool. And and the appraiser goes, that's worth a million dollars. I think deep down what I really want is I want something in my house to be worth a million dollars. But recently I watched a clip of an army veteran who brought a, a watch to the antique roadshow. He had bought it when he was stationed in Asia at a military exchange store. He spent $300 on it. He wore it a few times. One time he even considered going scuba diving in it, but he decided that he wouldn't do that. But he left it in his sock drawer and eventually forgot about it. Well, when the antique roadshow came to town, he said, I wonder what that old watch is worth. As he showed up and put it on the table and the appraiser took out his little jeweler's eye thingy and started looking at this watch, you could see the appraiser's heartbeat starting to race. His excitement started to bubble. And at that moment where the appraiser says, I believe that at auction, your piece would go for, he said, $400,000. And that old man who was standing there fell backwards to the ground, gone from the camera view. Eventually, he stood himself up and he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket. And he said, if I have the paperwork for the watch, does that make it more valuable? And the appraiser said, I now believe that at auction, your watch would get $700,000. Do you think that 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 man went home with a different relationship with that watch? (laughs) Do you think it was still sitting in his sock drawer the next week, or do you think it was sitting in a a safe deposit box at the bank? Do you think he, he felt the same way about that watch? Or do you think that possibly, instead of just being a a cool watch that he had, now he had some awe and some wonder and some excitement when he looked at that watch? Do you maybe wonder if it changed his perspective and the way he thought about his own life? $700,000. Think of all the things he could do, all the places he could go. His world opened up in front of him. I believe the psalmist is telling us that when we get into the presence of God and when we experience the power of God, just like the man and his watch, we leave differently. We act differently. We feel differently. We think differently. And when we leave church after praising together, Monday looks different than it used to because we've experienced the power of God. We've seen its, his value We've seen his worth in our actions and our emotions and our perspective are different. The path of praise leads to surrender. It leads us to his presence. It leads us to his power. And finally, it leads us to his 
love. Look at verse six and seven with me. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He is our God. Is that incredible or what? That the creator of the universe, the king above all kings, the God above all gods, he is our God? How how do we get the privilege of calling God our God? Well, the part of the answer to that is found in this word maker. In verse six, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In one sense, that word is exactly what it sounds like. The reality that God made us. We are his because God made us. But if you dive deeper into that word, you realize that that word maker means we're not just his because he made us, we're his because he saved us. That God's people in the Old Testament didn't call themselves God's people because they just decided it one day. They called themselves God's people because when he rescued them out of Egypt, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. That us being able to call God our God is a reality that he saved us. He made us his people because he loved us so much and he cares for us so much. On this side of Jesus Christ, we know that we get to call God our God because Jesus saved us. He saved us from the slavery of sin. He saved us from guilt and shame. He saved us from death so that we can call him our God and he calls us his people. You see the shepherd language. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for my sheep. That Jesus died for us so that we could have life in him. And when we praise God, we don't just enter into his presence. We don't just experience his power, but we understand his love. One of the things I love about the praise songs we pick here at the chapel is they always, almost always, tell the story of the gospel message. They tell us the reality that Jesus died for us and that he rose again so that we could have life in him. That in our praise, we experience his presence, we experience his power, we experience his love, and the only response is what we read in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. That when we experience this, all we have left to do is kneel. All we can do next is kneel. This is the ultimate act of surrender. You kneel before the king. You lay your weapon on the ground. You say, I will do whatever you want to do. I will do anything you say because I'm surrendered completely. I am vulnerable. I am transparent. I am honest and I am yours. The path of praise leads to surrender. 
I know that as we worship together outside today, that, that some of you, some of you are in a season like Meribah and Massa. You are in a season in your life where you are questioning, God, is this really your plan? God, are you really present with me? The psalmist says we have two choices. We can harden our hearts or we can praise. Because the truth is, is we all show up thirsty like the people of Israel. We're thirsty for relational healing in our lives. We're thirsty for comfort in times of grief. We're thirsty to feel freedom from the sin that entangles us. We're thirsty to feel healing in the midst of our sickness. We're we're thirsty to feel relief in the midst of our pain. We're thirsty to feel calm in the midst of our anxiety. And the psalmist says, "In in your season of thirst, don't harden your hearts, but instead walk the path of praise. Show up to worship together in person, online, and sing and praise and make a joyful noise because we are not just singing, but we are entering into God's presence. We're entering into his power. We're entering into his love. The path of praise leads to surrender. As we head to communion today, you will be given an opportunity to praise together, to sing. I would ask that you would consider singing the the way John Wesley asked. Sing vigorously and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift your voice up with strength because together as we praise, we will enter the presence of God. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope you will take up this call of Jesus to follow me as we consider these disciplines for disciples. Thank you.